Hi again. I just loved that last session. I really think that I was thinking the whole time I was sitting there that if we really got that, like everything, single thing she talked about, we, we really could just go home now. <laughs> and I don't know how there's recordings afterwards after this is over, but I encourage you to listen to that again and listen to it 20 times until you get it, everything that she was saying, because all of it was so important. And I know I was joking last night about shopping for Alexis, but I just, I'm so honored to really be able to sit under her and learn from her, and I am really honored to be her friend. And I, uh, I'm just amazed at what God has done in her. And uh, I love how the Holy Spirit knits people's hearts together. And yes, you can be complete opposites, and he just does it, you know. It's so cool. Uh, today I want to talk about, okay, hold the mic, don't move, okay. Sorry, I don't usually do this. I don't know how to microphone, so I'm just sorry about that. Okay, I want to talk about faith. And I want to talk about it in context of what I really believe God meant for us, the kind of faith he meant for us to have, this no plan B kind of faith, where we live with such trust and abandonment with God that we don't ever try to come up with a secondary plan. You know, we only have one plan. It's his plan. And we don't try to come up with another plan that's our own. And there are certain, certainly many examples of this kind of faith in the Bible. We think of Noah, you know, building this crazy huge structure, probably for months, maybe even years. And I really hope I get to meet him in heaven someday because I just really wonder what that was like. You know, when there had been no rain ever, you know, like I don't know if we can really put ourselves into the position to understand the kind of faith that took. And we think of people like Abraham, we think of Esther, right? She had no plan B when she went before the king. It was either we're all, you know, all my people are going to die or this is going to go well and I don't know which, but I'm just going for it, you know. And you think of Gideon who had his army decreased in numbers down to just this little group of men to go against this huge opposing force and the kind of faith it must have took to do that. One of the stories I love in the New Testament is the woman who, uh, she, the one that came to Jesus in the crowd to touch the hem of his garment, right? And, and in Mark chapter 5, it talks about how she had been to doctors and she had gotten no better and how she just thought to herself, if I could just only touch him, I will be healed. You know, she had heard the stories. He was healing people. And she thought, okay, like, I've already lost everything. I've been sick all of these years. If I could just get there. And her faith built and built and built until she was willing to just go for it. And that turned out really well for her. Uh, but she was willing to risk ridicule and, you know, she could have gotten big trouble. She was considered unclean in society and she still went for it. And I just, I love that story so much, maybe just because I can relate to it. 
But here's the thing, in, in the church, in, in the greater body of Christ, we, especially in America, people want plenty of information first before they make a decision. It's just kind of how we are. And we think that if, you know, so we, we think that if we could understand fully what God is saying or what he wants us to do, we get, you know, if it's all laid out for us, then, then I could make a decision for the Lord because that feels safe to me. Right, so we we come to God and we we're always asking for information because we think the more information we get, the safer we'll feel feel in making our decision or moving forward. But the truth is that following the voice of God hardly ever means we have information first, and it also means that we will probably not understand first. And at some time, at some point, we have to get to the point where we relinquish our right to understand. That's a tough thing. Because in a physical sense, we're probably not ever going to really feel safe. I mean, we are safe doing his will always, but we may not feel it in a physical sense. And so the choice to move forward is entirely up to us. And at some point, he may give us understanding if we, you know, if he wants to. That's totally up to him, too. We may get understanding years later that we don't have at the time that he wants us to move. But I tell you what, it feels crazy but once you live this way for a while, you don't ever want to go back to a very boring, predictable, safe life. So as a personal example, I told you about last night, you know, a lot of the trial we've gone through with our son. And I'm not sure it was really clear last night. Uh, the battle for his life, we know, is a spiritual battle. And when I said I didn't really know what I was fighting at first... I really didn't, you know, I, I didn't know what I was fighting. It took me a couple years to begin to understand that I was actually fighting Satan. The Lord started telling me that this was a spiritual fight and that, and that is why nothing we ever did for him worked. Nothing ever helped him. And I, you know, when, he, when the Lord started telling me that, you know, I had been sort of a hermit in my house for several years. I just thought, oh, I'm not, I didn't tell anybody that for months, not even my husband, because I just thought, I'm just going crazy now. You know, I just thought, no one's going to really believe that. And, and anyway, if it was true, I didn't know how to win. You know, I was already doing everything I knew how to do. I just didn't know how to win the fight. Um, and so, you know, we know actually at this point in his life, we have won the spiritual battle. We know it's already won. Um, for whatever reason, there is a timing issue to his healing, and we're submitted to the process of God because of how he's going to bring it, bring it about. We actually even know how he's going to bring it about. We just don't know when. So as we're kind of walking through this process, you know, through, through strong belief that Carson would be healed, uh, you know, I, I didn't, after a while, after my faith got stronger, I didn't question it. And I, I knew that he was never going to be just partially healed. Like he was not going to be just in remission, you know, or he wasn't going to be just, now he has less limitations. I knew that it was going to be full and complete healing. And so for years, the organ that was causing the most trouble for him was his large intestine, also known as your colon. And for years, it just, it bled profusely. It had ulcers. It was from the top to bottom, just a terrible organ. It was extremely painful. 
and it couldn't function. It couldn't absorb nutrients. Your your large intestine is responsible for sort of uh, reabsorbing liquids and minerals in your body and recycling them. And you know, obviously, it's where your waste comes out. Sorry, sorry. While you're eating snacks, but this is our life. Okay, we have we just we just talk about digestive stuff a lot. Um, but adding to that, it wasn't only all that, which would have been enough. It's, it's the added embarrassment of what digestive illness brings to, you know, a, t- a teenage boy and everything that goes along with it. And literally, he has lived his life for hours a day in the bathroom, uh, like hours. I mean, he just lives in there. And so uh, sort of fast forward to this past summer, we had – so, we, okay, as I knew that God was – saying his healing would be complete. There was a time a few years ago where I really, I knew the Lord told me that he would receive a completely new large intestine. And I didn't really know how that was going to happen. I knew the Lord told me it. And I knew that it wasn't going to be just that the one he had was going to be repaired. I knew that he was going to get a new one. So I don't know how that works. I don't know if in heaven there's body parts that have names on them. You know, I don't know. I just knew that he was going to get a new one. I know that sounds crazy, but I I don't care. (laughs) Um, I just knew what I knew. And so this past summer, we had spent, uh, you know, all these years, and we had tried all these medications to try to save his large intestine. And clearly, as a teenager, no doctors want to remove something that big uh, and important if they can somehow, you know, calm down the inflammation, make it work better, whatever, but... But by the time the summer hit, we were practically begging the doctors just to take it out. And so what happens when that happens, just again for all the non-medical people in here, if you have large portions of your intestines removed or your whole colon, then you have to have what's called an ostomy. So they bring, you know, they bring a piece of your intestine, the last sort of uphill working part of it, and they bring it forward outside your body. They stitch it down and remove everything, you know, from there down inside. And then you have an appliance that you wear all the time that is, you know, where your waste comes out. And obviously this is not ideal, right? You know, you, you, if you have an ostomy, it's, it's, you can live your life. It's just not ideal. It's not what you would want. And so while it was really no decision, I mean, at this point, we just we just wanted the thing out. It was just giving him so much pain for so long. The decision to do the surgery wasn't really hard in light of what God had already told us. We were already way out on the limb of faith, knowing that he's going to be completely healed. What's it to God to give him a new large intestine, right? So we just were like, do it. you know. And we probably went into, uh, Carson too, not just me, but went into the surgery with a lot more peace than people usually end up going into surgery. And so we just knew however long we had to deal with the ramifications of having the ostomy and dealing with it, that it wasn't going to be a permanent situation because God had spoken to us about it. So I want to talk about faith, uh, and I want to show you a couple of graphics because like Alexis said, when the enemy has a progression for you away from faith, just like the Lord has a progression uh, of building faith in your life, So, but you can put the first one up there. So, when we respond to the Lord with doubt, then this process happens 
right? Because we are giving the agreement to the enemy that little bit, like Alexis talked about, and we go into this progression of, you know, first we question, you know, I, I don't know if I should really do that, if I should really think that, if the Lord really said that, I don't know, and then there's this hesitancy, and then it just turns into outright skepticism, and then it turns to mistrust, because this is the progression, and then it turns to fear, okay? Now we've come full circle away from faith completely, and uh, fear is, like she said, fear is, wow, it has so many, it has so many intricacies in our lives and ways that the enemy gains authority. Um, the Lord revealed to me something last year, actually, that I was incorrectly living in. And it, it was this belief that fear and faith can exist at the same time. And it was an actual agreement I had made with the enemy, but I I had to repent and break that off. But in the process, I asked the Lord, like, how did this happen? Like, how did I, how did it, how did it become an agreement? And He reminded me, uh, He brought to my mind a time, probably six or seven years ago, when a, I guess you could say famous, but a popular women's speaker came to our area. I don't even really want to say where the where the event was, and I don't want to say who it was because it's quite possible many of us were there that day because different churches came and brought people. And to hear this woman, and it was, it was kind of, I don't, I don't know if it was a woman of faith type thing, but it was, it was that kind of event. And there was a speaker for the day, and so I was there with many others. And her talk that day was all about how fear is a natural response that we have. But of course God wants us to obey him. And so her theme of the day was do it afraid. And that sounded reasonable to me. I thought, well, this is a good justification of how I can still be afraid, but I could still obey God. And so that's how I actually came into the agreement that this was okay. And so I was actually making a justification and an allowance of the spirit of fear in my life because of this. But the problem was it, it is in direct opposition of way of God's, of God's way of doing things. And the real truth is that fear and faith cannot exist at the same time. They cannot. One will get booted out in favor of the other every time. And if we do not proactively choose faith, it is very easy for fear to take over. And so, okay, that's the progression of doubts. So you can put up then what happens when we choose to respond to the Lord in faith. So we say to the Lord, okay, I believe what you've said. And in that, there's a strength that comes to us. And then we become even more sure. And that is what gives us the confidence to move forward, right, with what he's telling us to do. Even if it sounds crazy to the outside world. So there's a connection between faith and the promises he gives us or or prophetic words that he gives us. So by prophetic word, I just mean those things that those a promise would come, you know, directly to you from the Lord in your relationship with him or a prophetic word could be something that the Lord speaks to someone else and then speaks into your life. Someone else hears from the Lord for you and tells you something that the Lord wants to see happen. Okay? In your life. And so it's like this glimpse of the of God giving us a glimpse of what is possible that that he's trying to let us know. And so it's it's how we learn 
what he wants to see on the earth. So on earth as it is in heaven, right? God has plans in heaven and he makes them known to us on the earth. And so prophetic words or promises from God that he gives us, the first thing we need to know is that it, usually they will be illogical to our minds, okay? It's usually something we cannot understand without the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, I'll just leave that there. And when we receive a word from God, it doesn't mean that this is an inevitable thing that will happen. There is a a process that we have in accepting that and learning to walk in that and learning to find out what that means, and it's our choice. It is, uh, like we said yesterday, he will not override our free will generally in the process. And it is possible to cancel, like if we if we received a promise from God and we just said, I don't believe that, that's, no. You know, if we put it in our mind and our mind says that's not possible and we talk ourselves out of it, it is possible to cancel or put off, like we said last night, your promise into the future or or cancel it altogether. And we see that in the life of Joshua and Caleb when they went to spy out the land. Remember, they went with 10 other spies and they all came back and looked at that land, the land that God said, this is your land. And they still, you know, they were like, no, too scary. It's a suicide mission. We're going to die. Can't do it. You know, and so what happened was they forfeited their opportunity then for to have their land and they pushed it into the future 40 years so that they all had to die off until a new generation was willing to rise up and believe what God had said. So something else that we should know is that in general, when God tells you something, it is going to immediately and maybe for a very long time look the opposite of what he's saying. Okay, and this has a it has a process as far as God's concerned. He is testing us to see if what he says to us we will actually take and believe. So remember that Jesus lives both with us now and he lives with us in the future, right? He lives in the future fulfillment of our promise. And there is a process in between that of faith. And, you know, most people want the fulfilled promise, but they don't really want the very possibly hard journey it could take to get to that point. And so, but but that in-between process is, that's what becomes the preparation for us to actually live in that promise. Okay, does that make sense? So, so if God has given you a promise about your future, then the outcome is secure, right? He said it, that's all I need to know, this is something that's going to happen. And, and that process in between is our relationship with God. And, and you have to think of it as the promise itself that's out here, that is what makes us sure that we're going to survive this process in between. Okay? So, maybe you're, maybe you're listening here and you're thinking, okay, well, I get what you're saying, but I don't know if I've ever really had a promise from God that I knew was mine, that I knew was from God, or maybe you haven't ever received a prophetic word before, and that's okay, I think probably Half of us in here, you know, may not be in that situation. But what we do have is we have the word of God. And we have this entire beautiful book full of promises as well as what he speaks to us, you know. And and he will begin to make promises to you in relationship with him. 
three years ago now, when Carson was 17, we had a day at the hospital where we had to go and do a whole bunch of dumb tests. And we always dread, you know, we always dread that. And so one thing he had to do that day, though, and it was not, it was not difficult, but it, he had to have a bone scan. So many of you in here probably have a bone scan before. It is, uh, takes, you know, not very much time. You just lay on this flat thing and there's this, you know, arm that comes up and over and it scans your body from the top to the bottom, right? And that goes onto a computer screen that's nearby. And so we were doing that and, and the technician took me aside and she showed me, you know, this two screens and she showed me what bones are supposed to look like on the screen? And they're like thick and white and opaque and, you know, strong looking. And then she showed me Carson's. And they were so porous. They were like 100-year-old. They were like 100-year-old person bones. Like he could just break a bone by breathing or walking around and... um we had been dealing so much with digestive organs that this was something that hadn't crossed my mind. He just had had such a long time of not being able to absorb minerals and plus medications, you know, wear down on your bone strength. And, you know, just, this was my son. He was 17, supposed to be, you know, in the epitome of health at that age. And, and I didn't respond like I didn't freak out at the time, but, the weird thing was that day that the, the technician took me aside and she said, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I usually don't tell people. You know how you go for a test somewhere and they don't tell you anything, but they know. You know they know. You go for an ultrasound and you're just like, come on. And they're like, no, we'll call you the doctor. We'll, you know, and all that. And and so she she's took me aside and she showed me and then she said, I don't, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I don't usually do this. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. So, uh, you know, we left that day, and I was just really distraught inside. I mean, I drove him home. I didn't want him to see me upset. Um, you know, I mustered the faith statement out to him, but inside I was just a wreck. And I, I got home, and I closed my door, and I just threw myself down on the floor and sobbed. And I just, you have to understand, this was, it was a hundred, the hundredth, Worst test. You know, every test Carson ever had was terrible. There was never any good news. It was always terrible. So this was just, it was like the top of the pile on the whole pile of really bad news. And after a little while, I picked up my Bible and, and where I had stopped reading the day before, there was a bookmark there. No lie. This is what it said. Psalm 34, 20. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them will be broken. And it was like the Lord said, I've known about his bones all this time. You only found out today. But I've always known. And I knew you would need this promise on this day. I had the technician tell you, so you would go home and you would see your bookmark and you would read that. And this is my promise I'm offering to you. And I wrote it on a sticky note and I put it up in the kitchen. And it stayed there for two years, probably. And you know what? I had a choice in the matter. You know, this is what we do sometimes. We talk ourselves out of the promises of God. Because we look at that and we go, 
Well, that's a really weird coincidence that that would be right there this time, you know, or we, we start evaluating, like if you've had, man, if you've had like a lot of Christian education with Christian school and college and all that stuff, you can academic yourself right out of a promise of God. You know, I could look at that and I could say, Psalm 34 though, I mean, that's like, that's a foreshadowing of Jesus. This was a verse written saying that Jesus would not break a bone on the cross. This isn't for me, you know. This is, you know, we can talk ourselves right out of what God is. And he's there going, no, 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 no. I put this here for you. My word is living and active. It has applications. It's, 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 my promises are for you. And when I give them to you, I, I need you to take it. I need you to believe me. And, uh, you know, today Carson's bones are no better. In fact, we have a bone scan in another two weeks again. But he's never broken a bone. And he won't. Because God promised me he wouldn't. So it's just not something I worry about. Have enough other things. <laughs> um, also, can you put up next the other, the next graphic? I want to show you guys something that just God, this is just an easy way of thinking about it. I was going to take a nap one day, and the Lord was like, here's your graphic. I'm like, oh, okay. Thank you. So you see the time. This is the timeline, okay? This is where we live. We live in time, right? And if we have a promise from God that we're claiming, we have this point in time where the promise is fulfilled, okay? This part, believe before seeing, that is faith, okay? That's what we're going for. This is the group you want to be in. Okay, and this is where we've been for years, and this is where a real relationship is formed. Okay, guys, I'm just telling you, being in this group, this is where it is. This is everything, okay? But I don't want to give you the wrong idea. I'm not going to tell you it is fun to be in this group. It's not, okay? And you need to know that going in. So many times in this group, the Lord has told me, this is your finest hour. You know, and, and I'm, I'm sobbing every day. I'm crying and I, I, like, no matter what comes in the future, this is what the Lord is looking at. You know, and I'm like, Lord, I hate this hour. Like, this is excruciating. This is the place when you are all out of prayers and you're all out of tears and you have nothing left and all you can do is just pray and say, Lord, I believe you. That's all I've got. That's all I have to say, okay? But you stay in that group, okay? Because the second group is believing after you see the promise, right? That's not actually faith. That's just realization. You saw it, and then you decide, well, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll just believe in it then. But that's not actual faith. And there is a, unfortunately, and, and again, though, in the second group, it's better to believe than not believe at all. Okay, so it's just a subpar choice. It's not the best choice. It's still better to believe than not believe. Um, but there is a third group. And this is what Alexis was talking about in Matthew 13, where it says, Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? And then they scoffed, he's just the carpenter's son. 
We know Mary, his mother, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, all his sisters live here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended. And they refused to believe in him. And so he did only a few miracles there because of his unbelief, because of their unbelief. So you see that their unbelief was just completely disqualifying. Some will not believe, no matter what, not even if they see it. God just wants us to believe him, and the path is so worth it. I want to just, um, I want to give you, I have to figure out where I put them. I want to give you one more visual. And these are, these are some of the hospital bracelets that we have had over the years. So when you go to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, I know you guys all know what a hospital bracelet is. They slap it on your wrist and... These ones at the Children's Hospital, they are no joke. Like, this thing goes on your wrist, it is not coming off. Now, they can cut them off, but I mean, otherwise, you can live there for years, and the thing was not moving off your wrist. But the interesting thing about it is that when it's your child in the hospital, the na- you know, you get one, you're the parent of the child, and you get one with your child's name on it. It's not your name. And this serves a lot of purposes. It's... It's, first of all, for security purposes. The security there is no joke. Um, I don't know if you've ever had any experience there, but they have a lot of security guys there, and you can't get by them without having this bracelet. You can't even get in the parking lot where the parents park without having this bracelet. But you certainly can't get anywhere near your child unless you have this bracelet on. And no one else can get near your child without one of these bracelets. And it also serves an important purpose of medical discussion. So doctors know I talk to only, if I'm talking about this child, I'm talking only to the parents of this child. And it's identifiable by the bracelet. Right? And so all these years that we have spent there, Carson could rest in a way knowing that I will discuss, I will veto, I will not allow harm, I will fight for what I believe is the best course of action for him because I am responsible for his welfare. And in my even exhaustion, I will stay alert to what is going on because his well-being is my priority, right? I mean, we're moms. We can be really fierce protectors. And I love him more than anybody else in that hospital, And I want you to think about it this way. Your name is written in heaven. Think of it like God, the Father, is wearing a bracelet with your name on it. You are his. And how much more is God our fierce protector? He's way more wise. He's way more powerful than us human moms. Like, do we, do we really believe when it comes down to it that he is that alert on our case? Like, can we really believe that? Yes, yes is the answer, by the way. <laughs> if we believe that, though, it will change the way we live. Because we can calm down and we can trust, just like my Carson. I can trust him with complete faith. It will be just a natural outflow because I believe that he cares and he loves me that much. And he cares and he loves you that much. I know it doesn't make sense that we can walk through the most horrific 
long-term situation that continually gets worse and worse every day for years, while at the same time our faith gets stronger and stronger. I don't really know how it happens. I just know that it does because that's our story. And um, like I said last night, I, I would have loved to come to this conference and I would have loved to... I don't really know what that would be like, but I would, I would love to have come and, and been able to share our testimony a little bit from a place of seeing the victory. And, um, you know, again, we don't, we don't really know when the victory will be. But the only reason I was really, I was really determined to do this this weekend, and I, I love being here, and I just thank you for letting me share some of this. But my, this is, this is part of my fight and part of my warfare in the battle that we're in for him. And, and Alexis quoted this verse, but in Revelation 12, 11, they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So my very personal reason for being here is to deal a death blow to the enemy. Because this verse says I can. I can't do anything to make my son feel better, but I can fight the way the Lord tells me to fight. And and you can too. You can fight what is trying to overtake you. But realize the fight is not anything other than sometimes pure faith in what he's saying to you. And we we so easily want to fight some other way. Because it's just a lot easier to, like, you know, do things or say it's our faith, you know, but when it really comes down to it, it is the faith that matters. It is the faith that gets us to the promise. We can trust him to take us where we need to be. We can calm down. Don't resist what he's trying to do and let go of the need to understand. And I know that he will do more in your life than you can imagine. If you will just engage in that process of faith with him. All right. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just, I thank you so much, God. I thank you so much that you, you are our fierce protector. You are the one we can trust with everything, God. There is nothing that happens that you don't know about, that you don't see. Nothing surprises you. Nothing, nothing happens that you didn't know was coming. And I just thank you that you care about us that much, that you will make sure, God, that we can hear your voice and we can trust you in every process you take us through. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you so much for this conference, God. Thank you so much for every single woman that's here. Lord, I pray that they will come to know you so much as their personal love and fierce protector. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.